Welcome to the Becoming Well podcast, the podcast that explores the intersection of faith and mental health. On this episode of Becoming Well, we have a special guest in studio. Thanks for letting him join us, Mary. My dad's here. Hi, Dad. Hello there. So cute. <laughs> we call my dad the, the goat because he is the original psychologist in the yes, group. Yes, I love that. Yes. His- Goats. And uh, worked for years. How it's many called years? called an old goat. No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> young, young in spirit. Seasoned goat. <laughs> vintage. <laughs> My vintage therapist. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, how long did you practice marriage and family therapy? Uh, probably about 35 years. Yeah, that's all. That's, that's 40. That's vintage therapy. <laughs> <laughs> well, but we, we're going to talk about something kind of challenging today, toxic, difficult family relationships. And I want to clarify, we don't have dad here because he and I have a toxic relationship. We have a great relationship. Absolutely. We, we He's in town visiting in Chicago. He and my stepmom live in Colorado, and we've been reminiscing about all of the adventures that we used to have growing up. Um, but we've had some challenging relationships in our family. And Mary, you and I have talked about challenging yes. relationships that we've had. And so we kind of want to dive into this topic because toxic relationships absolutely influence our mental health and well-being and toxic relationships were a big part of what we see in scripture too and like the demise of you know empires yes caused by toxic relationships in scripture and so they're something that are they're difficult to navigate setting boundaries are hard Mm -hmm. um and so i think we should just kind of dive right into this topic. Absolutely. And I think it's important to talk about because we can't just leave it on the burner or just leave it in the, you know, bury it and it not reoccur. I tell people we can suppress all we want, but it's going to come back in another form. So it's not one of those things when we talk about parenting and toxic relationships, they become our voice. They become the people that we first interact with, right? So I didn't have a, um, I didn't know my real dad growing up. And I had a very, very distant stepfather. But we have to realize that is my first experience with the opposite sex, mm-hmm. right? And that is going to carry into how I see the world and how I see men when I go out into the world and what type of men that I marry, right? If I don't work on that. So this is such a good topic because it's not one of those things that just go dormant and then time just makes it go away. Right. That's the fallacy. Time does not heal all wounds, people. This is so true. (laughs) And we always say, like, especially in couples counseling, I always tell my couples and I probably got this from you, dad, is that you both come into this relationship bringing all kinds of distinct baggage from your previous relationships. And that's going to come out. In your interactions with one another and your conflict and your communication style. And so it's actually really healthy and proactive to start to unpack that baggage and navigate how it's impacted you. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Dad, in your practice, let me ask you this. The GOAT. What? Um, we're going to get you a t-shirt, new t-shirt. Right. The GOAT. T-H-E-E. Right. Yeah. Make sure they need to recognize Because you wear a pastor, too. So we got the GOAT. Oh, yeah. He has like a thousand degrees. Layers. This is where you get that from. Layers of wisdom. You're just taking all the hats. true. just putting 25 more on but I am curious um, of your insight in terms of 
parental, you know, child and parent relationships and how that informs your current relationships and maybe what you've seen in your practice? Well, I think uh, uh, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, speaks uh, to this issue when in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, since we so since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let, let us lay aside every sin and encumbrance that so easily entangles us. And the sins, to me, are the things that we bring to the table that we need to take responsibility for, that we need to cut aside. But then he says, the, the encumbrances that so easily entangle us. And and to me, those are the external issues, the external relationships that bind around us and cause us to not see life as, as God would want us to do. And he says, cut aside the sins that we bring and the encumbrances that so easily entangle us so that we can run with endurance the races set before us. And so those that baggage of the past of relationships need to be cut aside so that we can see clearly what God wants us to do in the future. Ooh, that's, that's good. Why he's the goat. <laughs> that's right. That's why he's the goat. <laughs> okay, so Dad, let let's put this into practical application because okay. on our podcast we're just kind of conversational. We we lay it out there and we you know we're pretty honest, which you know because you're a faithful listener. Um, my dad's definitely one of my biggest fans for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so and Mary's as well. Thank yeah, that's you. true. <laughs> yeah, every time I every time I talk to dad, how's Mary doing? Tell her I said hi. That how's is, her daughter oh, doing? That, that's my friend, y'all. You, don't mess with dad. We're gonna have problems. I'm not a violent person, but I would get violent with dad. Okay. So okay. So <laughs> let's talk about. Let's get a little personal here. Okay. I think one of the challenges in our family, and we've talked. I've talked. We've talked about this before in the podcast. We we dealt with some tragedy. You know, unfortunately, my mom um, took her own life twelve years ago. Yeah. Um, but she navigated a lot of mental unhealth in her family of origin, and in particular with her mom, my grandmother. And, you know, as a kid, you don't really see these things uh, so readily in front of you. But as I got older, I started to see some of those patterns. And after mom passed away, you and I had a lot of conversations about what you had to deal with, with your mother-in-law. So when you think about the practical application of Hebrews, because I think as Christians, we often have this false mentality of like, I have to work through every traumatic relationship and love on people because that's what God has called me to do. And I can't set boundaries, which is totally not true and really unhealthy. But how did you navigate some of the challenges with your mother-in-law? It was tough. We'll have counseling for you after. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, I was very immature when we first got married. Because you were were 21, right? 22? I was 23 when we got married. Which for like men is like 15 men. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Our engineer's like, yeah. Caleb's like, yep. But but, uh, there was a power struggle between she and I. And in the beginning stages, I was determined in mature-wise that I was going to control the family. She was she she controlled her family, but she was not going to control mine. Mm. And so there was one particular issue that really started this whole thing. And and she said, "Well, uh, we want we want to uh, have you 
rent a tux. And I said, well, my mom is going to make the tux for me. By the <laughs> way, my dad grew up in a very small town. How many people were in 200. 200. He was a valedictorian oh. of his high school class of? 10. Oh. I was in the top 10% of my graduating class. My claim to fame. <laughs> You just not going to tell the other part of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll let you impart how many people you think ran that class. So, right. so making a tux is like you you had you still have a winter coat that grandma made. Yes, absolutely. So this is normal okay. for you to have, and she was she's a good seamstress. She was a good yeah. seamstress, but I was kind of joking. But I was saying to her, saying to to my mother in law, you you're not going to control me or what I choose to do or my decisions for my family. And that that created all kinds of tension in the very beginning with her. Yikes. And Wait, yeah, no, you guys. So where do you think that comes from, right? Because at the beginning, Deb said, you know, we, we all come in with our baggage, yeah. right? And we respond and we interact based on our own lens and our schema, right? What we call schema, like all of our experiences and the way that we've communicated with others in our past, that's how we communicate with one another. So when you, did you, did you come to a point where you realized that was coming from um, a place maybe that was not directly as a result of your mother-in-law? Or how did you reconcile that in terms of how you saw the relationship? Well, I, I think it really got worse and worse over a period of probably a couple of years mm-hmm. to the point that, that my mother-in-law would not talk to Cynthia, my wife, mm-hmm. and would not talk to me. Mm-hmm. She totally silenced herself. And I, I realized that I was part of that deterioration that I really needed to take care of because we went to a a family reunion in Mississippi Mm. and we were there for seven days and she would not say hello to us. She did not say goodbye to us for seven days. There was no interaction whatsoever. And then we, at the end of that summer, we went up to North Dakota where they were living at the time and we were there for three weeks, and we were living with uh, an aunt, and there was absolutely zero communication. And I realized at that point in time, I needed to do something in order to break the logjam because it was it was so painful not to be able to talk, and and for Cynthia, not to be able to talk oh, to her sure. mom. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. If if somebody were coming to you and kind of talking about going through a similar situation, right? So they're navigating because this is this is not unheard of to have challenges with an in law, um, and you know, like I said, as an adult now looking back over family dynamics, I can pinpoint numerous times throughout you know my especially as an older adolescent and young adult where my grandmother put her foot down. And like, I think of one incident, we had an incident where there was a big disagreement, family disagreement, and it resulted in grandma not talking to us. And I remember it was over Christmas and (laughs) we're all like, there was, I don't remember what the argument was over, but she basically stopped talking to us and didn't come to Christmas. And we, at this point we lived 15 minutes from each other and we're, we're all having Christmas breakfast. We're sitting around the table and we start hearing this thump. 
And we're looking at each other like, what's going on? So I get up to go investigate. I was probably like 17, 18 years old. And I go out and my grandmother is out at the front door throwing our Christmas presents <laughs> at the front door. <laughs> I kid you not. And my poor grandfather is just behind the wheel of the car kind of like helpless, you know, and she's just angry, chucking those Christmas, wouldn't oh say a word, gets in the car and drives away. Yeah. Oh so this God. isn't something that even though you stepped into the situation at some point in time, went away. So if you were talking to somebody or if even if you were talking to your younger self and they were navigating, a t- I mean, this is very manipulative, unhealthy, toxic behavior, because ultimately what she is trying to pull for is for you to come to her and say, I was wrong. Yeah. I hurt you. I, you know, this is my fault. She's putting, taking no ownership or responsibility whatsoever. So what would you say to somebody who's navigating that? Well, there's a passage in scripture, and I'm not exactly sure where it is, but it says, as much as is possible, live with peace at all men, with all men. And, and what I hear in that passage is the fact that that there are just some people that no matter what you do and no matter what you say, mm-hmm. it's never going to be good enough. And and you have a responsibility, and that is as much as is possible within me, I need to try to live at peace with all men. So if I brought some things to the table, which which in the early stages, I knew that because of my immaturity, I had brought some things to the table as much as is possible. I needed to take responsibility for what I brought. I can't be responsible for what she brought, but I can take responsibility for things that I've said or things that I've done. How'd you get to that realization within yourself? Uh, it was it was during that three-week period of time where there was in North Dakota, where there was total silence. And I'll never forget the the night before we left, God brought conviction to my heart. You need to try to do something to solve this problem. And so the next morning we were, we had packed our car and we were going to drive from North Dakota to Florida. And, and I just, I just had a conviction by God saying, you got to try to do something. And so I said to Cynthia that morning, I need to go out and talk to your mother and try to resolve this. And she says, well, I'm not going to go out there with you. (laughs) God told you. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't say anything to me. (laughs) And so, and so they lived 30 miles out of town. And so I was driving out to the farm and I saw George, Cynthia's dad coming in driving in to say goodbye to us. And we stopped and, and I, he says, where are you going? And I says, well, I'm going to go out and talk to Ruth. And he says, I wouldn't if I were you. Oh. <laughs> he also said, God didn't tell me. To <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he told me to warn you. <laughs> and I says, well, I need to try to resolve this issue. And he says, well, I'm not going out there with you. <laughs> so I felt kind of alone in this situation. Oh, no, but but I went out and I knocked on the door and and I Ruth came to the door and I says, Ruth, I'd like to talk to you. And she says, I'm busy. Mm. I says, I know you're busy, but I'd really like to talk. So we sat down and I began to take responsibility for what I'd brought into the brought what I brought to the table. My immaturity, 
uh, things that I had said, and it took about three to five minutes to just lay out for her what I had said or what I had done in the past that that I needed to apologize for. Mm. And I'll never forget the next thing that happened. She started blasting me. It's like she she was a B-52 bomber and she loaded up her stuff and she started blasting me for an hour and 15 minutes. Whoa. And 70% of what she had said, I could have easily justified by saying, that was not my motive when I said that. That was not my motive when I did that. But here's, I think, what takes place oftentimes. And that is, is that when we do something wrong to someone else, we put a pair of yellow sunglasses on that individual. Now, have you ever worn yellow sunglasses? Yeah, and it just looks... Everything is distorted. Just, yeah. The clouds are yellow. The people are yellow. Cars are yellow. Everything is yellow. And so when we do something wrong to someone that we don't take responsibility for, we put a pair of yellow sunglasses on that individual. And so everything that they hear us saying and everything they see us doing from then on is seen through those distorted lenses. Mm-hmm. And so for an hour and 15 minutes, she was she was bringing all this stuff to the table that that I could have easily justified, but it was seen through these yellow sunglasses that I put on her. Yeah. Mm. And and after about an hour and 15 minutes, she kind of quieted down, and I said, Ruth, will you forgive me? She landed the plane, loaded it up, took off, and started blasting me for another hour. Wow. wow. And after about an hour, she kind of calmed down, and I said, Ruth, would you forgive me? She landed the plane, loaded it up, took off, and started blasting me another for 45 minutes. I was there for over three and a half hours. And finally, after three and a half hours, I said, would you forgive me? And she said, yes, I will forgive you. And the next words out of her mouth, I'll never forget them as long as they live. She says, we'd love to have you come for supper. Now, she knew we were leaving that day. But because I had cleared the slate, what happens is it opened the door for her to begin to say, you know, I'd like to reconnect. There are so many layers to that. That is good. There are so many layers. I'm... So what I'm wondering is, in that exchange, how much of that was about you? Do you know what I mean? Oftentimes, we will rail on people and just yell, and it has nothing, at its core, has nothing to do with that person, Mm -hmm. right? Where oftentimes, it will be, you know, I'll give this example. When Craig and I first got married, uh, he... And I kind of do 50-50 in the jobs, right? With, you know, whoever does whatever the best, that's who has the job. Whether it's cooking, we don't have gender, none of that, right? And um, one time, I was just tired at home, and he was working all day. Now, Craig is not the type of person to say, where's my food or anything like that? Or we we wouldn't have gotten married because that (laughs) didn't work with me. You know, we just do what we do, right? And so he came home one day, and he was like, oh, I thought you were going to make dinner, right? And that's all he said, and he said it just that nice. And I was like, I just got an attitude. 
And I was just like, why do you think that I should have had dinner? Just something just railing on him mm-hmm. where he was like, I, I was just going to go to Wendy's because I just thought, you know, and it was so innocent. But I realized me going off on him like that had nothing to do with him. And I had to realize that it was my experience when my my stepdad used to emotionally yell at my mom and sometimes throw food on her when she didn't have dinner ready. And for me, that was what he was saying. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So so I'm looking at the way we interact with one another and how much that railing really had to do with you. Right. Because we function so much out of displaced anger and unresolved issues. And, and, and when I realized that, that helped me kind of release, Sometimes being mad at people who come at me a certain way, especially if it's if it's if it's imbalanced, if it's not warranted based on the situation. Absolutely. Right? I accidentally stepped on your foot and now we're like getting into a brawl. Yeah. Do you do you know what I mean? So I'm to hear when I heard that story, it's like how many of us function in that way and then we don't realize other people function in that way. On top of that, how much of that peace that got that that beca- that that emerged out of that, right? Uh, you had to be so patient and peace between you guys. But then, what about the damage and the lack of peace then within yourself, especially if, like if it's a child? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like say that because you were you said you were immature, and then you clearly um, really evolved into this maturity to be able to handle that, right? But what if like what if we take it a step further and it was a child in their parent in their in a an adult railing and the child's like I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry and then the parent says okay it's fine but then the damage is still there so then there's peace within the relationship but then how do we deal with the peace from lack thereof the fallout the personal personally yeah right where you're saying okay that's fine we're cool according to you because I said I'm sorry but now I'm damaged and now every time I hear your words every time I hear somebody else's words, I hear my mom or I hear my dad. Mm. You, know, you know what I mean? Absolutely. You put this, you superimpose this piece on that. And that is, is that when she was a child, yeah. she was sexually molested mm. by a male. And, and so, so here I am, a male coming in, trying to be controlling. Yes. And, and so, so, so I wasn't even aware of this until later. So absolutely, that was contributing to the disconnect that she had with me. Absolutely. Well, and I think that speaks so much to what you said earlier, Dad, that I think can be applied to both circumstances, which, you know, I I think obviously outside of the boundaries of putting yourself in physical, emotional, or or abusive, harmful situations, as, as believers, as Christ followers... We are called to seek peace in relationships. And I think very often it's easy. I know I've been in this place where when I feel wronged or perceive that I've been wronged against, I throw up a whole bunch of defensive postures and I continue to point the finger. Well, you did this to me. Well, you said this. Well, you responded in this way. And I don't take accountability for my own actions. And I see things through those same yellow colored lenses. And so... There's, this is why I believe so often in scripture, we're called to, to carry a posture of humility, Yep. which is hard, which is really hard to do because relationships are layered and our experiences in life are layered. And too often we go in only being willing to see the tip of the iceberg and not willing to recognize everything Everything underneath underneath the surface. And so when we can say, okay, here, here is what I have done wrong. 
here is what I need to take ownership over. And we can initiate that and start there. And then I think the other thing that's really important for us to recognize is, you know, we oftentimes place our validation, our worth in other in the hands of other people. And that's right. why we need their ownership, their, you know, their acknowledgement, their forgiveness in order to function. And we need to recognize that our worth and value doesn't doesn't land in their hands. It's in God's hands and who he created us to be. And I think that empowers us to then say, as you did with grandma, will you forgive me? Recognizing that her issues, her baggage and her way of responding to you had no bearing on your worth and value, which is complicated. It's, it's what I think what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter five where he says, before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, mm-hmm. first remove the log that's in your own. And so so when there's conflict between two individuals, 99% of the time there's going to be contribution that I bring to the table. And that's what Jesus was saying is mm-hmm. before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, where your brother has contribution here, mm-hmm. first focus in on what you bring to the table. And then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Yeah, and, yeah, and that actually, and that's what when 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 we go into prayer because we we can have blind spots, right? Oh, I'm yeah. Good. I don't have a speck in my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's just my vision. That's I just, just my vision. I just can't see it. Right? I was born like that. <laughs> but that that and you use you 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 said this you know and and it's the truth that humility that we have to say okay. Yeah. This is my stuff. Yeah. And it's not even a thing that it's it's necessarily bad. It's good to know your stuff. Yeah. So you don't keep placing and projecting that onto other people and hurting other people and then allowing other people to hurt you because yes. then you'll be able to decipher between your stuff and their stuff. Yeah. Right. But it's that humility one to say, okay, Lord, what is my stuff? And wh- where am I in this? I do this with my daughter all the time. And it's very hard when you're a parent, right? Because you're supposed to be the parent. And, but I, you know, really, you know, well, I didn't do it on intention. I didn't do it voluntarily. God just said, listen, you need to get it together. Yeah. You know, and he showed me what I needed to look at in the speck in my eye before I started pointing stuff to her. Because oftentimes the reason why she's behaving the way she's behaving is because she's getting it from me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so that is the truth of that, that we have to look at our own stuff. But that's so hard. hard. But that goes into why it's important to go into counseling, right? Yes. Because you have to uncover those blind spots, you know. See episode four. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Going to counseling. Counseling Jesus. Jesus counseling and blind spots. But I think it is important to acknowledge that there are times, and we did, unfortunately, as a family, we had to place some boundaries after mom passed away with with grandma. We yeah. haven't seen her. Most of us haven't seen her in 12 years, 10 yep. years. And, you know, so I do think there comes a time. I don't think I know there comes a time where that toxicity is so damaging and so painful and so borderline abusive or abusive that you do have to say, OK, enough is enough. Enough is enough. Yeah. So what was that like? For you and how do you discern or, you know, how would you tell someone else? How do you discern when you set a boundary and what is what do you do for that? Well, you you brought up in the beginning of this session the fact that that Cynthia committed suicide. Mm -hmm. It was so painful because here I'd been married for 34 years to her and I was planning on being married the rest of my life to her. And all of a sudden she takes her own life. Mm -hmm. And and I think what. 
getting to to Ruth in that situation, uh, you know, I wanted to come alongside and try to connect with her, and that what 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 caused me to break it off is I I reached out to her on two or three different occasions, and after about six months, I had a conversation with her, and she blamed she blamed uh, my kids for Cynthia committing suicide. And and when she said that, I'll never forget the words out of my mouth. Well, this will be the last time that I have conversation with you because when you start blaming my children for Cynthia choosing to take her life, I can no longer have a relationship with you because I do not want that toxicity to to flow over to my kids and have them feel guilty for a choice that my wife made. And from that point until this very second, I've had no conversation with her. Well, how did you reconcile that within yourself? Do you know what I mean? Yep. There's a great passage in in Amos chapter 13. Mm -hmm. Love this passage where, where God is talking to the nation of Israel. And he says, I gave you leanness of teeth and lack of bread in all your places, yet you would not return to me, declares the Lord. I withheld rain from you when there were three months till harvest, and one city would go to another city but would not be satisfied. Yet you would not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent the caterpillar that devoured your many crops and vineyards, Yet you would not return to me, declares the Lord. I slew your men after the sword, and the stench of your camp rose up in your nostrils. Yet you would not return to me, declares the Lord. There's a pattern here. And God was trying to reach out and connect with the nation of Israel, but they wouldn't return to him. And he continued to do that. But then the the, the most sobering passage is at the end of this where he says, to the nation of Israel. Therefore, I shall do this to your Israel. Prepare to meet your God. There's a certain point in time where God is compassionate and he's caring and he's reaching out and he's trying to connect and trying to get people to listen. But there's a certain point in time where God says, okay, enough, I'm done. And for me, it was when she said, well, your kids were the reason why she committed suicide. And, and it was as clear to me as yesterday, mm-hmm. I'm done. I can no longer reach out to you because what you just said is so destructive and so harmful that I cannot allow my kids to have that kind of connection and that kind of guilt poured on them. Yeah. So it was very clear to you. Oh, it wasn't, very clear. And it, there, it doesn't sound like there was any guilt or anything that you had, any residue of saying this is it. No, I've had zero guilt because at that point in time, my responsibility was to protect my three children. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we felt that, right. I mean, cause we were all reeling too. And so in, I think building into that, you look at the impact on the relationships around you. And it was like, here we are, we had lost our mom. We had lost our mom in a very traumatic way. And now dad is dad and mom. And it created a sense of, of safety and trust. Yeah. Like dad's going to protect us. Yeah. He's going to look out for us. And, you know, you think about 
generational sin and the curses of generational sin. And I think in many ways that that right there was a break in what could have been ongoing generational sin. And that is the I love that you said that you guys, this is this is good, because that's what I think oftentimes we think that we have to continue to do. We have to let all these toxic behaviors continue because we're related to them or there's some type of attachment to the, you know, whether it's a familial, familial attachment, cultural attachment, whatever the attachment is, church members, whatever it is, because, and and, and we think we have to do that. And that's what it means to be at peace. And that's not true at all, especially if we're not protecting our own peace in our family. Yeah. Yeah. We understand that God, and especially if we connected with God and said, okay, I've done the best that I can do. Yeah. You know, and and that's why I think a lot of us get caught up where we think that we have to do it because it's family. Yeah. Well, and I would add to this kind of going back to this is why counseling is so beneficial. After this season in our lives is when I went to counseling for the second time, going through not only the grief of losing my mom, but some of the traumas of of what was going on in our family dynamics, plus being a counselor and working with other people and wanting to be healthy. And for me, and you taught me this as well. My dad has a great philosophy. Also, by the way, because people are listening and can't see anything, he quoted that whole passage from Amos. There's no Bible in front of us. There's no Bible. So if you ever want to know why your kids walk with God, you just live scripture. Mm -hmm. You just live scripture. Um, But I mean, wanting to go, like, I was like, ooh, I need to study my Bible. Right? (laughs) I'm like, I'm going to read Amos. Right. I'm going to go back and read Amos. But, But, he has this great perspective on forgiveness in scripture. And it's this idea that, you know, it's modeled by Christ, that God, Christ died on the cross for our sins and it is available to everyone, right? That is, it is, it is here for the taking. And yet in order to receive it, you have to confess with your mouth and believe with your heart. You yeah. have to confess. Mm-hmm. And so I think the, the importance of me going to counseling is I could walk away from that whole situation and carry a lot of bitterness and resentment a lot because growing up, I mean, we saw the conflict with grandma, but I also had an amazing relationship with her for many years. And so to lose that relationship just as abruptly as I lost my mom was, was traumatizing. And yet you could, I mean, the reality is both, both individuals chose to end that relationship because even though you said enough, grandma's actions were what caused that enough. Right. right? And so at any point in time, she could have come back and said, I was wrong. I made a horrible mistake through my own trauma, my own, whatever reason and take ownership for that. And if I've continued to just stew in my anger and my bitterness and my, my pain, I would maybe be open and receptive to that. Right. And so it's been my own work in coming to that place of being willing. I don't think the act of forgiveness is complete until the person asks for that, much Absolutely. like salvation isn't complete until you ask yes. for that. But I can prepare my heart and be willing to offer it mm-hmm. if it's asked for. Mm-hmm. I think that's where counseling in the midst of or in the aftermath of toxic and unhealthy relationships is so important. It is. You know, I had to learn how to reparent myself in certain ways, right? When you talk about reparenting yourself, not to get, you know, into a long story with myself, but I had, you know, really pretty bad relationships. Not My mother and I were really good, but, you know, father figure. I didn't have any grandparents. I didn't grow up with my father. I didn't have any male figures in my life, right? 
And so that played out in a lot of the way that I see myself as a young girl, as I see myself as an adult, how I see myself in my relationship with my husband, how I see myself in my relationship with my kid, right? And um, even going to Christ and saying, okay, why? Why, why? why didn't you allow, why did you not allow these beautiful creatures that you say are yours, men, in my life to help me grow and understand who I am because men play a pivotal role in any kid's life, especially their daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I began to see how that's playing out and how I would talk to certain men. And, and it, was, it was negative or it was bad or even think about it, right? Or, and then on top of that, it's the reinforcement of the black women trope. We can do everything, black, strong black women, and we don't, we don't need a man, right? And it just became very, very um, entangled, right? And what happened is just me breaking down in my just saying, God, I can't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to treat a husband well. I don't know how to be happy when my my husband's spending a lot of time with his daughter. I don't know what that looks like, right? Just all of these different dynamics that I was not taught. Um, and what I had to do was just say, okay, God, help me, right? And then go to counseling to understand how that's playing out into my relationships, right? We, we continue to talk about how, how, we, how we allow... Uh, how we use our our, uh, our relationship with Christ and how counseling works in that, and yeah. that's how it is. Where it's just you know, God got got to a point with, you know, even and, and I'm sorry, you guys, because I'm verbally processing because this is very personal for me. But even my relationship and how I see God played a huge role of me not having a father figure. Yeah, right, and having to break down and not become. Um, your mother-in-law and not become this angry person because I could have been that. I could have been that for Amaya's future spouse for, for various reasons, but I had to get to a point where I had to say, okay, God wasn't eating sushi and just forgot about me when I was growing up, right? He was paying attention. <laughs> Had some good sashimi yeah, that right. day. Just like, oh, my bad. <laughs> oh, I better pay better attention. <laughs> father for you, father for you. Right. Everybody gets a father. Exactly. Uh, but, but understanding that he allowed, he didn't make it happen, but he allowed it to happen for a reason, right? And understanding that, but why and why it hurt and what do I do about that? And then going to counseling to be able to unpack that right, is important. And that's why I asked that was how do we deal with toxic parents or parents that are absentee or abusive parents or parents, you know, that are, you know, um, have a negative impact on us. But I had to eventually reparent myself. And it was so important for me, meaning that I had to be that voice of the father that I didn't have. Mm. Right. And this sounds so simple where there are times, even to this day, I'm 47 years old and I'll look in the mirror and say, you are beautiful. You are worthy. You are this actually talking to me. Right. Uh, yeah. Mary talking to Mary and reparenting myself. And, you know, it, it obvious, you know, we would love that a dad would have done it. Yeah. But I really that's one of the ways that I do it. I'm trying to be practical here and, and share with the listeners what I do in terms of when we do go through those tumultuous or toxic relationships um, to reparent ourselves. Another way that I do is I'll relive the situation, you know, with the therapist and um, I will change the narrative in my head. Yeah. So 
instead of being molested, what could have happened that day that would change that narrative, right? Because then we're getting into what we talked about in our last podcast, um, how everything is holistic, right? That's that uh, plasticity thing about your brain, that it can be changed when you give it new experiences. But we have to give it so many new experiences so that it doesn't say, oh, this isn't a threat anymore, right? We want it to say it's not a threat anymore. So because I've had these toxic relationships with you know, in individuals that I cared for and it hurt me. Um, that's the way that I've been able to do it, to reparent myself, to be able to change the narrative, to change that, that you know, all of the different neurons and all of that in, in my brain to say, those people aren't bad people anymore. You don't have to be afraid of men. You don't have to be afraid to be intimate with men. You don't have to be afraid to be, or man, I don't want to use, yeah. <laughs> I said intimate with men, but I'm in, men. <laughs> Sorry, Craig. (laughs) But you know, I don't want I don't want to keep going. But that you know, I really wanted to make it clear that it's important that um though you know those things we all are going to come upon relationships that aren't going to be healthy. Yeah. Because we're just all we're we're hurt people. Yeah. And and I think it's you know, I always talk about it like this dance because I think we can easily go from one side to the other. We can just kind of sweep our feelings under the rug and say, I gotta keep going, I gotta persevere. Like you talk about the strong black woman phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I think there's the other element of like we get stuck in our emotions, like this is too painful, this is overwhelming, this is I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm not I'm not moving on until this goes away. And it doesn't right. always just go away. Right. So I think it's this dance between grieving that loss giving yourself the space to grieve and to be hurt and to be angry and to be whatever emotions come up as they come up and be willing to shift your perspective, right? Because there's, there are, even to this day, would I want my mom back? Absolutely. Would I want my relationship with my grandmother restored? Absolutely. And in the midst of that, I have an amazing stepmom who I have a great relationship with. My dad stepped in and we have an amazing relationship, you know, in, in that season, he played dad and mom and we, we have a very close family. We just came back. He's here visiting me in Chicago. And literally a week ago, we were all in San Diego on family <laughs> vacation together. So like awesome. we spent like three days apart and then came back together. There's grief and there's pain in the midst of it. And there's beauty. And I do yeah. think it, sometimes it's not very often. It's not what we, what we planned for, what we hoped for, what we wanted And yet if we're willing, not in the absence of the grief and the loss and the pain, but in the midst of, and in addition to, if we're willing to look for the ways in which God does bring redemptive relationships into our lives in various capacities, Mm -hmm. that in and of itself is really healing too. Well, and one of the things that both of you brought to the table was the fact that it's critically important to drop the bitterness and resentment. Yeah. When I sit here and think about uh, Ruth, I have zero bitterness or resentment because if she came to me and said, you know, I was I was totally wrong in terms of what I said to you. Would you forgive me? I would forgive her in, a, in an instant and re- begin to reestablish that sense of connection. Oh, but can I pause you right there? Yes. I know I'm inter- Begin to reestablish. It also means you don't have to jump right back into the way Absolutely. things are. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so— we we need to deal with the resentment. And the way in which I deal with resentment is I am always willing to forgive someone who has hurt me. Mm-hmm. And because I'm willing to forgive, it releases the bitterness and resentment. Mm-hmm. But they have responsibility, too, to see their faults. Mm-hmm. And she hasn't, and so we have no connection at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. 
Ooh, this is a deep, this is a deep episode. This was good. <laughs> this is really good. <laughs> well, I hope. Thank you for sharing, Dad. Thanks yes. for coming and oh, joining us. I loved it. We uh, have to have the goat back. We got the, the goat back. <laughs> this the is goat. good. This is good. <laughs> Drop some jewels up in here. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm going to be like noodling on this one for a while. And he's my dad. Like this is not new information, but it's kind of new information. <laughs> Taking notes. Anyway. Well, thank you for listening. <laughs> You can find us on all major podcast platforms. We hope that you check us out. Leave us a review. Five stars. We'll take it. We love your feedback and questions. Find us online at www.becomingwellpodcast.org. And we look forward to having you be here with us again soon. Bye.